So anyways, for those of you guys that don't know, we're arguing about the real world and MTV show. Gomer says it jumped the shark on the fourth season. I distinctly remember there's like two to three more. Okay, so it starts off with New York, then it goes to L.A., and then the third one was my favorite one out in San Francisco. And then it's like, um, I think it's either Miami or London after that. And then you have Seattle. And those are all okay. I liked the Miami one or the London one a lot. And then I think the London one was too boring because they all got along very well. (laughs) And then, um, like, when we get to early high school, so that's like junior high, right? So that's um, 94, um, 95, and 96. I want to say it's around um, 97 to 2000 where it starts becoming more about, hey, let's just give them, like, let's get them drunk or, like, have them hook up. And then when we're in college, it's just like they just just hook up all, all the time. Like, I remember watching a bit being like, this is so dumb. And then I stopped. Yeah, there was one line where an empty, it was like a behind the scenes. And the guy said, you know, in seasons, I, I said season four, you know, might have been five or six or whatever. But he said, you know, in the early seasons, um, couple people definitely like paired off and they were definitely a lot of relationships and heartache. He said, but nothing could have prepared us for this season. You know, and it was one of those like promo things. And in the very first episode, they were all naked. They were all like having sex with each other. And the guy said, we had to triple our, I'll never forget this. It's so weird that I remember this. He said, we had to triple our budget for digital editing, you know, where they blur the pixels because oh, wow. back then it was expensive to do all that type of stuff. And he said we had to triple our bl- our budget because of all the nudity. And, Holy you know, cow. Which, makes, which makes for great television. You know, that kind of whole idea. So, yeah, it was just, and the, like on the very first episode where it was like meet, meet the cast, they were all naked. Right? One guy, I remember he distinctly like ripped off all of his clothes and jumped in a pool where people were already swimming. And they're like, whoa, yeah. And you're like, oh, this thing has a culture, uh, has its own subculture. I remember MTV coming under fire because a few of those people, like there was like a Boston one, I think, where they partied a lot or, or something. <laughs> and one of them was an alcoholic. And I remember MTV coming under fire because I felt like they were giving them free booze and just fueling their alcoholism. No, MTV, they're responsible. <laughs> yeah, duh. Um, yeah. Man, I, isn't it crazy to think about how much power they had? Yeah, the famously, the CEO, um, so every year television companies pitch to ad agencies like why you should sell what brands to our audience. And very, very infamously, the CEO said, we don't market to 14-year-olds. We own them. Pure power. Actually, what he said, by the time they're 14, they're eating out of the palm of our hand, I believe is what I heard. Well, you heard it wrong because I used to quote that in all my talks yeah. in the 90s and 2000s. People who give talks um, never lie to try to uh, or like accidentally lie to try to cover up what they don't forget, but they still want to make their point. Or Michael Gormley does his research because he is not just a pure goofball and actually read it from the quote from Youth Culture 101 by Walt Mueller, a researcher. At, Did uh, you find the quote? Am, uh, am, am, am I wrong or are you wrong? No, I don't have the quote. I don't, that book's back at, uh, at my church office. Ah. 
Well, hey, that was fun. Why did you like that show? My wife loved that show. And then they had that spin-off show where the real world and Road, road Rules, I love road rules. would fight each other. Okay, that was kind of fun because people came back. I love the first season of Road Rules. The girl hooked up with the town's mayor. It was quite the scandal. Uh, <laughs> no, okay. So when I when – I, I will say this for MTV. I'm, gonna tr- I'm not going to redeem MTV here, okay? Uh, by any means necessary, or say that there was, but I am going to say here was some of the stuff that I think was, I like what you were going for. Um, I was from Dayton, Ohio, and it was people uh, uh, living out in uh, out in um, San Francisco and out in L.A. and and you know in London doing cool stuff. It just and they were interesting people. They were talking about interesting things like, uh, you know, like AIDS and race and um, like it 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 honestly as a teenager, I on I think it. I took it seriously, as did a lot of other people that I knew, and I think that's why – I'm not saying it was serious, but it was presented to us as, like, here's a serious thing that is also a bunch of TNA. But not, not really back then. I don't, I don't remember it being this hypersexual thing when I was in junior high. I remember it being more just, like, cool people – doing cool things that was really interesting. And it was about all the stuff that if you thought you were paying attention to things that were important, it's the things that they were, that they had going on in the show. What was, what was the one where they all worked for like Virgin Galactic and had to create like the advertising and branding around it? Do you remember that one? No, I do. I I, like, cause I think, I do think it got more just about like, Hey, how crazy can this get? Yeah. Bigger. Scarier, um, cooler, I believe is the word that you used in your memo. Because it, there's, they, it was, you know, I, like, I thought it was interesting to see all these different people from all these different kinds of backgrounds under one house living together. Um, I don't remember how, how the intro act, actually True went. story! True story! And that the was Saturday the, Night Live jokes were that was great. Uh, that was incredible. The Bob Dole thing. Yeah. 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 The the true story guy was like, I mean, when you're 12 and you're I'm 13, this is a novel idea, a cowboy of living out in L.A. It's like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, world's colliding. What could happen? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You cannot have an animal with exaggerated predator features without the corresponding behavioral trait. That's that's that, like it's a show for 12 and 13 year olds. And I, I don't think that the premise is actually all that bad. I'm like, hey, let's get all these people from all these um, different backgrounds and have them be in a house, and we'll see what happens. If I don't innovate, somebody else will. So I'm sure there was a lot of stuff that they did. I think one of the most infamous, one of the most infamous parts of the show was in season one, when these people, it was it was a, a black dude and a white girl started to argue out in the street about race, and apparently. It was a little bit staged. <laughs> shock. Shock. I know. Shock. You are acting like we are engaged in some kind of mad science. But we are doing what we have done from the beginning. But yeah. I just can't. I mean, like, uh, did that was more or less at the birth of reality TV. Oh, yeah. So the same people who produced that are the same people who produced the Kardashians. That's it's what I was about to say. Company. Yeah. It, it might not be the same people. It was like the Bunham Murray or 
or something. If their genetic code was pure, many of them would look quite different. But you didn't ask for reality. You asked for more teeth. I never asked for a monster. Monster is a relative term. To a canary, a cat is a monster. We're just used to being the cat. And like I, I like Road Rules. I like the first season of Road Rules because they did cool things, and it was just kind of interesting. Like they, I thought it'd be so much fun to drive around an RV doing fun jobs across the country. That was the premise of that show, yeah. and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, Bunham Murray. Oh, if I had a dollar, for I applied every... to be on Real World when I was twelve or thirteen. <laughs> I sent an application. I'm like, I could get it. <laughs> Are Would you surprised you? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that is. I, don't know. I mean, I didn't. I knew it wasn't going to happen because I, I saw it was like you had to be over eighteen. I was clearly not that. Uh, but I was like, yeah, whatever. Who cares? I really want to do this. I had like a book about the real world, and it seems so cool. Hmm. Hmm. I'd be. I almost want to. I'd be curious. So, if you're an older millennial, so if you're born anywhere from let's say eighty-one to eighty-five or eighty-six. 86 is kind of, kind of pushing it, but I would like to see what your opinion of the real world or the road rules was slash is. Tell us yeah. at catchingfoxes.fm. Contact. They produce the Kardashians. They produce road rules. They produce Bill Nye saves the world. Boo, Wait. Bill Nye. He's annoying. He's just a, yeah. I'm like oh, I respect you. you. Now it. you're a mouthpiece. You were very fun when I was eight, and you were on the Mickey Mouse Club. Now you're an annoying anti-theist. Yep. I decided to stop calling them atheists and call them what they are, anti-theist. Nice. Because I'm edgy. You're so edgy. Oh, Have man. me on your show. It's people like you, Luke, that give Franciscan University a bad name. <laughs> is, is that your transition? That's it. How was it? <laughs> Was it stoic enough? Because I'm, I'm hurting, Luke. I'm hurting. All right. So, are you really hurting from this? Is there something interfering with your happiness, or is it preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, I started going to therapy probably about maybe four months ago, maybe three months ago, and I just kind of realized that healing is something that the Lord wants us to receive. But healing is always an invitation from God. Quite often, He asks people to, to you know take a step out. We have to take action, and a great way to do that is through a group called BetterHelp. BetterHelp can assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under forty-eight hours. This is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and I'm going to send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and I'm a thoughtful responses. Plus you can schedule a weekly video or phone obsession so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. Those are weird as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so that they make it easy and free to change counselors if you feel like you need to. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is indeed available. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, wants you to start living a happier life today. You can go to betterhelp.com slash reviews and read some of the testimonials that are posted daily. So this is what we're going to do. We have a special offer for podcast listeners. You get 10% off your first month at betterhelp, H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash foxes. You go to slash foxes and you will get 10% off your first month. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional counselor. 
BetterHelp.com slash foxes. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. You know, it's really funny because at first I thought it was hilarious. And then I thought, not I'm not insulted by a random guy who hates me. It's I am sad because he went after Franciscan because of me, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Like obviously this no, guy. It's is more an idiot. like he, he had his okay, so 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 okay, let's 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 back let's back it up here. We're gonna do we need to call this we need to have a section of the show, which is the show pretty much called Catching Foxes Gets Meta. And we'll play the Arrested of Development uh, theme in, in, in the background. Okay. So, Catching Foxes gets meta. So, I was I was heading out of work, and I don't remember what happened, but I, somehow I decided to go to Church Militant's website. I do not remember why, but I did. And I saw that they had that that old Google. This was a thing like ten years ago where you could um, search a web page to see. They would do a, um, a Google search on the web page for content within the within <laughs> the web page. Mm. And I thought, hmm, I'm just I'm selfish enough to see if we've ever been talked about on Church Militant. Though I thought if there was an article or something, we would have known about it. But still, I wanted to see. And lo and behold. I found something. I found a comment from one year ago from a person who has that one office character on. Forget, uh, sorry, office space character. Milton is the person's avatar, so that's stupid. And his name is K him or her um, K A R R Y H. Whatever. This is what they said, and this is so they were talking about some school that was like shut down or something. Was what was what the article was from? Some college. <clears throat> Do you want to read it or do you want the person with the speech impediment too? Either way. All right. One need only um, listen to a single catching foxes in quotations podcast of goofball, unserious Franciscan University, Steubenville graduates, quote, Luke and Gomer, end quote, to guess that their alma mater could be could be careening towards that same fate as these secular mainstream universities if it does not clean house. So, yeah, we uh, were accused of uh, being everything that's wrong with Franciscan, which isn't the first time that that's happened, nor is it going to be the last. True, true. And the fact that the guy probably doesn't realize we graduated 20 years ago. <laughs> which is probably our fault. Yeah, <laughs> when you spend like thirty minutes on every five on every fifth uh, podcast, being like, "Our project house was wonderful. Yeah. We had a yard. <laughs> Let's relive the glory days." <laughs> yeah, no, it, it it bothers me on a lot of levels, and this is where yeah, I'm trying to notice. I was how not arrogant. bothered at all. No, I know, I know. This it, it all goes to my pride. It all goes to my arrogance because. My first comment was, okay, Boomer, you know, like, let's make it divisive. And the fact that this was, the fact that there is this narrative that Franciscan University is on some invisible hill going straight to hell and hell being a state university, uh, it, it bothers me so much. And you take that and you couple with the fact that someone made a similar comment about me two months ago. On my, you sent me, went out of his way to track my email address. Oh, now. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they saw mm-hmm. me live at a Sumville conference, and I had one minute to speak on racism. <laughs> and so I just tied it to the abortion issue and said, in the Catholic Church and our social teaching, we 
we're the only group that's going to unite like dignity of the human person in terms of racism with abortion. Meaning this thing that's culturally relevant right now but wasn't 10 years ago and may not be 10 years in the future is still a part of Catholic social teaching due to the doctrine of everyone made in the Imago Dei, whether you're an unborn baby or someone with dark skin, whatever. Right. So that was like my point that I was attempting. But he read it as I was equating the slaughter of 50 million unborn children to, you know, um, Antifa. Right. And 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 he said almost verbatim what that person said. That'd be funny if it was the same person. But just <laughs> like no wonder idiots like you are proof that Franciscan University is tanking. And I'm like, hot Damn, I cannot – I just feel like it's like it's, – it's one of those things where it's piling on that makes me, like, do a gut check. That's why it bothered me. Well, okay, I have, I have a few thoughts about that. One, think of all the compliments and all the criticisms that we get. And this is just a drop in, like, a, in like a sea of those things. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, yeah, you I know? get it. And then two – like screw that guy. Like <laughs> racism is a real thing, and it's important. It's an important thing to like. Okay, take everything going on right now with Black Lives Matter, the organization, and everyone's issues with that. Are you going to tell me that racism isn't a problem? Or okay, let's just speak. Let's speak in theory. Racism is a very, very bad thing. And if you look at what people have done because of because of their racism, it is quite atrocious. And it's a thing that we should take as seriously as we take abortion. I understand that there is a nuance in the sense that, like, the church says that abortion is the preeminent issue of our times. But racism is like 1.A, you know, or, or like it's something so bad and so important. And it's it's the stain of it. And it's like... Its claws are everywhere. You know, we're, we're not that. I mean, um, we're not that far removed from it, if if at all. Which is a whole other um, discussion. But like, let's just assume that like it's gotten a bit better. And I know there's a, there's a lot of people who would say it has not, and that you know all about. I'm not trying to argue about that. I'm trying to what what I'm what I'm trying to say is that racism is a really big deal, and this person to flip out because. He thought you were saying that it, um, it is on par with abortion is like repulsive that he would that I'm repulsed by his by his repulsion. Like it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that I I just I don't understand. I I just do not like. You can disagree and think, hey, you know what? I have real issues with, um, like you can, I don't know. If you don't think it's as bad as some people say that it is. Okay, that's fine, but I don't understand the dis the inability to respect the fact that people care about the dignity of the human person, and they think it's being violated, so they're doing something about it. I'm not saying the riots or the destroying of like businesses or any of that stuff. I'm not referring. I'm saying to people actively talking about trying to push back against. Racism. You may not think that um, that you know I'm um, systematic. I'm um, racism is a real thing. I'm not trying to say that you should or that you or that or that like I'm um, you. I'm um, should not. I'm just saying why can't we respect the fact that people care about the dignity of the human person? The guy's got issues. That's all I'm saying. He's not. That's not a normal response. It is today though. See, this is the part about 
uh, parish life that I really, really want to have the priests on from. Um, oh yeah, I got I got to get get a hold of them. Sorry, I really want that to happen because it's it's fascinating because you know working in let me be politically correct and say various dioceses in our country. I am constantly labeled because I'm a Franciscan grad as some crazy right wing conservative radical. Yes. Yes. You're like, oh my god! I literally had someone say they were talking about um, this online Catholic program. I don't know if you're formed form.org from the Ascension, yes. yeah, yeah, not yeah, Ascension, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. the Augustine it was Institute. From the, yeah, the Augustine yeah. Institute. And this guy, I overheard this guy say, "Well, you know, I mean, yes, it's good if you don't have anything else, but it's just a little too right wing." And you know, there comes a point where I'm a little okay in my career that hearing people at a diocesan or archdiocesan level say things like that, like I'm not career climbing, and I hear stuff like that in my various travels, and so I'm just like, why would you say that? What about it specifically strikes you as right wing? Can I answer that? Oh, I would love for you to, because he sure didn't. Um, because he's a coward. Uh, and if you think I'm, if you think I'm, I'm talking about you, I am. Uh, he. It, it's very hard for us to conceive of a church the way that the church was from the '60s to the to the to the '80s. We're, for the most part, we are used to everyone being on the same page as us or everyone being orthodox. And there being some people over at parishes or, or you know, at like at the diocese who are not. But or like, you know, like we're used to a little bit of a diverser church, I guess. We're, and, and from the 60s to the 80s, everyone was like that. If you went to a Catholic grad school from nineteen, from like the you know, say a mid sixties up until probably the late eighties, early nineties, um, ninety two or 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 almost so, that's who you were formed by. That's what you were in. So everyone, for the most part, and you had all these lay people coming into the church to work in the nineteen seventies. They're all being formed with this type of ideology, which is really um what it is—a dangerous ideology. And so you have like an entire. You have an entire generation of church workers that that's what they were. Anyone it was formed during that time period who was not that, they're the exception, not yeah. the rule. And we so came of age when it was a little bit more mixed. And now for the most part, it's the rule that if you've been formed and you're trying to be like a, you know, church, a like, you know, church worker, you're orthodox. But what's happened is that those older um, people, I don't know if they were really, like, trying trying to – like, they – this is the thing that actually a woman told me who – I'm not going to name her name. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation that I I had with her. There were a few things that I was like, oh, no, but but, um, – I, I asked her, what's the difference between the church right now that you see with lay people and the church in the 1970s? And she told me back when she started, again, as a lay person, I'm working for the church in the 1970s. You did it because you felt you were called to. And she sees a lot of people who just do it as a career option now. As this is just a thing that I can do. Right, totally. And um, – and I think those older people who are at dioceses, for the most part, they take those jobs because they pay the best 
and there's not really much else they can do. I'm not saying that they're bad at doing that. I'm just saying that like this is what they're qualified to do, and this is kind of it. And so it's that or be a consultant or be a realtor. And all of those things are great options except the consultant part. Like all, but it's, you know, but so it's, it's like what, what other career choice do they have but this, especially if they still have a heart for the church. But they're coming from three decades of the shittiest formation you could possibly imagine where they quite um, literally would go to um, grad school and you would have nuns telling you I'm going to deconstruct your faith pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's why – and that, there's not a lot of them left, but there's a few of them still. And that's why, you tend to, that's why you tend to see them more at diocese. This is just my opinion. I have, not, I have not researched this at all, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. So the difficulty around it for someone like me who's worked for the church since the day he graduated is that the slings and arrows of following Christ was – hurled at me from the church, from those who uh, were in positions of authority that tended to mock your beliefs and your faith, right? Oh, I think uh, you're probably one of those people who takes the Bible literally. Like, I mean, like, just uh, all sorts of stuff. Like, like, like I remember my wife um, had a catechism, and she was in her, I don't know if it was her high school, I think it was her high school, and a woman just, like, berated the, the nun who was the teacher, berated her for caring about the catechism. Now, you got to remember, the catechism was released in 1992. My wife was 40 years old then, so. <laughs> it was very weird that she was in a high school class, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think they were Nonetheless, calling. she persisted. <laughs> Nonetheless, she persisted. <laughs> oh, man, I have seen that phrase everywhere in the last, like, two days. Um but my so the, you know and and there's a, a wonderful book written by Father oh, is it Michael uh, is it Whitehead what an unfortunate last name something like that where it's called flawed expectations on the reception of the Universal Catechism in the Church in America or something like that and I, I remember reading probably the first hundred pages for a class and every like left wing well let me rephrase it every mainstream Catholic publication just ripped it apart. The, the idea of having a universal Rome-authorized catechism. And, of course, as we all know, the exact opposite happened. It was a time of actual flourishing in the catechism of the Catholic Church. It's an excellent document that has actually transformed lives and made converts all on its own. But I can remember, like, that was the hostility of the 80s, of the 90s, and even of the aughts. Although, you know, schools like Franciscan and uh, Ave Maria and... and um, that's it. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, there's a lot of great schools or great programs at state schools. Like I always think of St. Mary's Student Center at a and I'm going there in a couple of weeks. And they're, they're in a lot of pain right now. But um, they, they churn out amazing Catholics and amazing things are happening there. But the, the problem is it shifted literally in the last year to now I'm it's a – It's coming. It's been coming. It's, it's, been, coming. it's been coming. But no one would dare say it. From the laity now, not from people in hierarchical positions of authority, not from people in chanceries or on committees. I'm sure they still think I'm the same or people like me are the same clueless right wingers, you know, whatever. But now, uh, you know, in the words of Father Neppel, when did we he, – he was quoting a fellow priest, but he said, when did we become the liberals? <laughs> 2017 right? if, apparently was that time. 
Yeah, and it's radical to me because everywhere I go in terms of wider society, you know, all of these things, I am attacked for my Catholic views. And then you step up within the Catholic Church and you're attacked by by people whose entire theological education is watching YouTube videos and that's it. And that's not to say that watching YouTube videos is bad or listening to podcasts is bad. Dear God, please don't say that. Yeah, yeah, but, don't ever stop everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the idea of like the rigor of 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 academic discipline in the in the science, the body of knowledge that is theology, and to have so many people who are untrained in theology, and these are faithful Catholics that I had no problem with ever. That's this is the weird thing. A year ago, I had no problem with these people. Maybe they had some social gruffness issues, a little too in your face about this, that, and the other. But now it's like you are, you know, maybe since 2016 with the election and stuff. But now I feel like the the whole um, temperature of 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 American Catholicism has changed. I feel that now. This might just be. Now, as I'm getting more settled, as I enter into my 40s in a couple years, not yet there, my wife is there, but I'm not. As I get into that, I'm more settled in my, okay, I've got my theological views, I've wrestled with some philosophical stuff, I am now repeating myself in talks, I'm settling. Um, But to to all of a sudden have the entire landscape shift on you is, uh, is shocking. And to hear these comments that are grenades and drive-bys, it, it really does unnerve me. It really, truly unnerves me. I, um, I may have just already accepted it. I don't know. As like, oh, this is just how it is now. Uh, okay, so I spent three years at a school out uh, in California that. Um, he's now a um, deacon, but the uh, the director of um, campus ministry was, was a very holy man who I just adored and still do to this day, and I, and I, and I love and had a very strong and unpassionate faith. And the president of the school did his brother is one of a uh, really cool um, up and coming bishop. Uh, there were what I said. Ooh, oh you yeah, said up and coming bishop. Ooh, yeah. He's. I'm very excited to see what he can do in the church. I'm very excited. Um. Uh, and a very good group of parents and a really great staff. But for the most part, their Catholicism was cultural. And it was a little bit of a left. It was a very um, weird area. It was very like kind of sharp to the right and then sharp to the left. Not a <laughs> lot of people in the middle. And uh, it was weird because you kind of had the. It was like, you know, there were certain people we could talk about our theology with and there are certain people that i mean i can i can distinctly recall one of the history teachers who i loved an older just just i mean brilliant dude but definitely of like a certain time i don't remember what he was talking about he was talking about the like the church and socialism and um, something along those lines and he's like the church would like agree with that like right luke i think he was trying to test me and i was like nah, you, you know it kind of depends <laughs> and like, but like that was the, the that was the extent of it. It was just like you know, I was seen as kind of being more on the right, but it wasn't the worst thing in the world. And I had to navigate a few um, coworker 
our relationships carefully. You know, I had a friend that I would fight about, uh, like I had a friend that I made this one, this one um teacher and uh, we would just fight all the time. We were also, I'm good friends. So it was fine. It was, it was pretty, it was, for the most part is when we'd go out, I'm drinking and she wouldn't want to talk about, I'm a theology. And I'd be like, you know what I think? <laughs> You're nuts. <laughs> but like, I was used to that. Um, I got used to that. Like, Hey, like this is different. And um, this is not, and I, I'd be curious to get your your take on this. Okay, so you um have theology as an academic discipline, right? Right. And I one of the things I love about people like Benedict and people um, like Balthasar and John Paul too is they really approach theology as like doing it on your knees. I think was a was one of the Balthasar um lines, yeah. and also I I feel like Benedict referred to it as an encounter with the living God. But it's not necessarily math in the sense that it's not the way that things absolutely are. And and, and so there are certain things where people might – I am not referring to the teachings of the church, but people's um, writings on the teachings of of the church. It doesn't mean that they're 100% right. I'm, I'm not saying that they're wrong, but there's this weird thing where I feel like we – we just absolutize that's not a real word but we make everything yeah, absolute no, it and it, yeah. it I, I think it's um and, and you know after kind of having and ha- having to been around kind of the other side of the church you know a bit more of a left-wing group and um different things that i've done being at that school other jobs and whatnot i'm like this isn't all bad everyone <laughs> like this is there's 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 a living faith here there are things that i don't agree with but there's a real strong um living um faith people who believe in um jesus christ and it's not so um black and white i would be curious to get your your take on that yeah i mean here's the deal you have entire schools of thought that have been developed over the millennia right our church is too thousand years old pope benedict draws his greatest understanding of certain theological truths not from aquinas but from augustine and especially bonaventure and to have him discarded be and and here's the funny thing i don't i i benefit greatly from pope benedict as i do from saint augustine especially his letter that father dave uh, Father David Huss put on uh, <laughs> on Facebook that was like balm to my soul that uh, Father Charles Pope um, referenced. It was called St. Augustine on Pastors or something like that. And holy moly. Wow, 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 wow. Um, but there is so much light and truth in Augustine, and it is beautiful, and it is fiery, and it is powerful, and all of theology is but a footnote to Augustine, and blah, blah, blah. But there is a problem where people honestly think any, like, they they are wrong in thinking that um, that the Pope decreed that all of theology for it to be Catholic has to be Thomism. And... I, I say this as a Thomist, like I am a follower of St. Thomas Aquinas, and the frustration is I'm hanging out on the whatever conservative tratty side of the fence all day er day. Like that's the part that pisses me off. But you are right. Like there is so much, like if you view theology as a body of knowledge, which is aka a science, which St. Thomas Aquinas says in the first question on the Summa, right? If you view it as a body of 
science, you know that there are going to be new methods and principles of human rationality and categorizing and thinking about things that will honestly affect the way that we think about theology, that we come into, count, in, into encounter with or into contact with divine revelation. And when we, just like St. Thomas Aquinas was a revolutionary in theology because he baptized Aristotle, to put it way too simply, um, so too people can take different insights of the modernists and achieve a new level of insight because their principles are so, or their methodology is so different that it will take us down different paths. Pope John Paul II was a Thomist, but he also was a phenomenologist. Phenomenology yielded some of his most dynamic ways of speaking about the faith. Um, you know, it lit his Catholic faith on fire. And I don't think... Um, we ever, ever, ever want to limit that. And I find that people do. And if you aren't in lockstep with X, Y, or Z, basically we did the, I think like I said this before, but we've, we're doing the thing that the liberals did in the eighties, which is the Pope is not the real magisterium. The real magisterium are the theologians in the liberal universities. And now it's like, we conservatives are like, well, the Pope's not the real Pope. This person, this celebrity priest or bishop or 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 worse worse than a celebrity priest or bishop is a celebrity layman who has a podcast or you know like that's their zone of influence i and don't clearly, doubt that what oh, they're where's a lot of ed hardy go on yeah and i don't doubt that they are speaking from truth and coming from a place of truth and even love the truth. I'm not doubting their motives. What I'm doubting is their ecclesiology. Like when, when um, a city of Acanta says, I'm loyal to Rome, I'm, I'm just loyal to old Rome, I would say there's no such thing. There's only Rome, right? There's no such thing as the Rome of the 1500s that still exists. Where is it? Where, where is Pope Pius V? He's dead. Where's Pope Pius X? Dead in heaven, right? They are, they are saints canonized by our church, but they're not here. Who's here is Pope Francis, and he's the freaking pope. And so often I find the thing that annoyed the hell out of all of us in the, in the 90s and aughts, which is everyone's contradicting JP2 because they, you know, they don't want to listen to the church's teaching on abortion or euthanasia or all this pro-life stuff, and they're going to contradict it. It's the exact opposite attitude happening on the right, and it scares me because I don't think it leads to fidelity, humility, or obedience. Or hol- now, there are yeah, holiness. Yeah. Or holy, yeah, which is all composed of holiness. Now, there are bad, now this is where I struggle, and let let me just be honest with you. I struggle with bad priests. I struggle with bad bishops. I struggle with the the priest that died in in Chicago, cooked up to a sex machine. I struggle with, what was this man doing? Oh, yeah, this (laughs) it's <laughs> one of the worst things. It was like in the 70s or 80s. This priest died, literally hooked up to a sex machine. They covered it up and all this stuff. And so the priest that took over did like 16 exorcisms of the church. It's just funny to think about. It's horrible. God, God, have mercy on this man. But it's so funny. For, it's, oh, God. It's, it's, you laugh or else you're going to cry. So, yeah. Should we? Okay, question. This is very, yeah. very good. But before we go down this road, should we table this? before i need to email that that those individuals about having i would rather have this conversation with them like yeah the, well let me just say this let the, me just say this the thing and then yeah them. and we'll 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 pivot off of it but 
I don't know how to deal with shitty priests and shitty bishops. I don't, and and I don't, I don't love Pope Francis. Uh, he is the Pope. I'm not denying that. I don't think he's a heretic. I, I have not, and this is not a comment about his latest encyclical or anything. I, I think he it. issues very problematic things, and he doesn't explain himself in light of the magisterium of Pope John Paul II. I have problems with things he said because I don't think he actively connects them to what has gone before. Okay? That's it. I want him to be more clear, not less Pope Francis. I'm fine with him making waves and 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 a prophet's cause a mess. It might be a little presumptuous thinking yourself a prophet, but like I'm fine with him. And I'm fine with his method. I just need more clarity where there is moments of real clarity that need to be had. And here's the thing is I this is the thing that pisses people off. Uh, on the conservative side of things. And I got this notion from a priest um, who was a Latin-only guy. I don't know if he was SSPX or FSSP, but he just said this comment, and it was echoed by, I think, Tom Woods, who's like a tratty libertarian. He said, why is it that when the church, when churchmen seem to attack something, I think Michael Voris maybe echoed this with his uh, Matt Frad interview, but it was basically, it's like the church always comes after the conservatives for, you know, being too rigid and being too this. And he said, but no one ever comes after, from like an ecclesial perspective, after like leftists who are too squeamish and too, you know, you know what I mean? Like how they're negating the truth and, and yet we might be too rigid and then we get run out of Scranton diocese like um, uh, church militant did. And they're like, but we're not faithless. Why is it that the faithful are always the one under the attack, right? And so this is where this is where my struggle is. You want to hear it? That's my struggle. I don't get how I can be one of these faithful people, but I see what they're doing as destructive and divisive in the church, so I won't tow their line. And because I won't tow their line, all of a sudden, I am, you know, a, a, a shill for the left or, you know, I'm practically voting for Biden just because I won't, you know, condemn Pope Francis or something. You know what I mean? Am I, yeah, am I, I no. feel like I'm just so confused, but <sighs> my little heart, my no. little heart, Luke. No, no, I get it, man. I, it, it, um, I have thought a lot about this, uh, having grown up, you know, I have, I, I used to have an act of disdain for uh, Archbishop Pilarczyk, God rest his soul, who was the Archbishop before uh, Archbishop Schnur. And this is Luke, not Luke the Archdiocese guy. This is Luke the Luke. Okay? This is just – this is <laughs> this is Luke the Luke V. This is the Luke V. And remember, I'm, a, I'm no one who speaks German can be evil. Um that, that if you don't understand that joke, that, that comes across very poorly. I just realized that. <laughs> it's from The Simpsons. And, okay, anyways, um, what am I trying to say? The more I got to know people that got to know him, that knew him, the more I grew to respect him. I did not agree. I still do not agree with some of the things that he did, or that. Um, and, and 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 to be honest, the people who work for the bishop, especially at the Curia, are working on the behalf of the bishop. So it's like it's part of his reign would be the wrong word, but like it reflects on him. That's the thing that I you know the that like is I took that very seriously that I was the archbishop's. I was 
Please say boy. Please say boy. Please say boy. (laughs) But I I knew that I was um, that the archbishop was responsible for all the souls in the archdiocese of Cincinnati, and he was entrusting me to help him with that as it related to young adults. I thought about that all the time, and one of the things about that, and I knew that what I did reflected him. And there were anytime I screwed up, that's the that's where I felt really bad because because of that fact and because I was being a dick. But um, that was always like the first thing it was like I let I felt like I let him down and and I felt bad because of that. These were just um these were all minor things, not 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 anything big. But uh, I didn't stay around um, long enough for that to happen. But uh, <laughs> um, it so. Luke, what, when you made one of these minor mistakes, did you say something like, I let my schnur down. No, <laughs> no not my, my schnur. No. No. I just, you know how I, I would just feel really I'm guilty, but try to be funny, but be dead inside completely? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I would do. Um, Luke way. I'd turn inwards and cry. Cry, <laughs> cry. I've cried more in the past three weeks than I have in the past, like, three years. It's been weird. Um, anywho, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Um so my, my my point though is that um, I, I've 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 learned to see Pilarchik's his like his humanity and his piety and his love for the Lord and it's it's very easy to write off a lot of these things and individuals as they were of their time, which I, yeah. I think is an um, injustice. But you do have to consider like the context of it, and I think when you have a bad bishop or you have a bad a bad priest. There's nothing stopping you from doing the things that you want to do. Ultimately, like the priest is like the um, bishop's responsible for the diocese. The priest is responsible for the parish. You're responsible for your, you and your wife are responsible for um, your family. You're responsible for yourself. So there, there's nothing. This is why you had all these grade a, postulates pop up in the 80s and in the 90s why you have net why you have franciscan why you have jim beckman doing all of his jim beckman things like you have um it's almost like they're doing it in spite of all this stuff i mean like if you take a look at all the bishops that were in that you know were in milwaukee or you know in like minneapolis and look, look and see the great apostles that have, that have come out of those areas we we do need to be unfaithful to them, but for the most part, it's not even that, that big of a deal. Like, I mean, there are, I, I, again, like, there are some big things with, um, you know, like um, St. Francis and the whole communion and um, Pope Francis to divorce people. I get that. And that's, that is a mess. I think it's, yeah, yeah. I think it's a, I think I'm, it's, I'm glad that he stirred the mess, but I'm also like, maybe you should have tried to help clean up the mess. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that the that the like Archbishop. This is what Archbishop um, Archbishop Sh- Archbishop Schnur would always say. He was like, you know, you guys, if you wanna, if you want to create a mess like the Pope is, I'm telling you to. That's fine, but make sure you can pick it up. He, <laughs> like he really, like he meant that. He really meant that, and he was kind of kidding, but also kind of not. And um, but for the most part, it's it's things like 
communion on the hand or, or or on the tongue when we I mean there are some really horrible things but like the bulk of what gets people upset they're they are really minor they're not forcing you like you were actively discouraged back in the 90s here in the archdiocese from going to these Steubenville conferences so do you know what awesome parents um did they went anyways yeah and there was they couldn't stop them and I don't think they really like wanted to um, like, I don't think they wanted to physically stop them they just didn't want to encourage them to go because they didn't like it so you just do it anyways <laughs> yeah but then what if your bishop says you know like this is a matter of obedience right goes full tyrant but how often has that actually happened seven times no i'm just kidding i don't know yeah, no, you're right. You're right, and and that's the and and that's why Pope John Paul II actually added a uh, well, I don't know that exact reason um, added a essentially a bill of rights for the lay faithful. He was like, <laughs> Luke's gonna be right in 20 years, so I'm gonna make this. <laughs> but no, this Careful notion your of bill like, of rights and the like whole like enlightenment thing, sketchy ground there. Yeah, <laughs> Pope John Paul II fully embraced the use of rights language. He was like, in his "Go, papacy. go, USA!" This is <laughs> um later, John John Paul II. Yeah, nailed it. Um, no, but the the reason why, like in the Code of Canon Law, it's like if you are a baptized lay member, you have every right to evangelize, to you know, like all, all the good stuff. And so the, but that's why it's like. I mean, yeah, we, we were told, like, I mean, I used to have archdiocesan personnel make fun of me, right? Like, when I was 22 years old, you know, and you hear this stuff and it's like, what am, what am I doing wrong? Kids come to my youth group and they leave loving the church and our Lord. Kids go to your youth group and, I don't know, go, like, learn something about social studies or something? Like, what? What is happening in our church where we have <laughs> yeah. lost, right? We've lost the sense of what it, of, of the gospel of, and then all of a sudden you had all of these lay people. And here's the deal. That's, uh, you know, going back to your comment about careerism in the church, it's because of people like Jim Beckman and Father Mike Scanlon and all of these people who just were like, you know what? I'm a lay person, like Scott Hahn, all this stuff. Like I'm a lay person. There is nothing but bad catechesis happening. So I'm going to do it. And then they, and it turns out there were Catholics who were aching to be fed and their clergy weren't feeding them. The seminaries weren't feeding the clergy. The bishops weren't with the truth. And I don't mean true. I mean, truth with a capital T. I don't mean like group think like, good Lord. Like this would be like we, the Catholic church was a, a, a mathematics institution and refused to teach the principles of geometry. Yeah, it like, really was. Yeah, like screw axioms. You believe what you want to believe. You know, like, like, and it's so bizarre that when you have people who are like, oh my gosh, I love geometry. What do you mean you were never taught geometry? And then you teach geometry to the lay people, and the lay people are like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I can apply this to pool halls and mini golf. This is wonderful. (laughs) That's all I think of geometry is useful. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't go to high school. I started the Great Gatsby today. (laughs) There you go. There you go. What do you think? Very confusing. Um, No, it's fine. It's fine. I just feel like it's one of those movies that opens where there's a narrative. That is talking the entire time. It's fine. It's it's one of the great American works of literature. It's no, but I see where JD Flynn's coming from. Is all I'm saying. Ah. Anywho, (laughs) I have. I'm I'm literally like 45 minutes into it. Still in the first second chapter. You got to listen. It's a short book. 
Jazz has to be experienced, not like, you know, observed. Luke, I'm blue like jazz. How dare you? The, the stars that hang there in the sky, blue like jazz. Oh, God. I hate you so much. So it's so good. Fair enough. I, I but, really never understood God until I saw a guy playing the saxophone in, in, in the street, and it didn't resolve. That's when I realized God didn't resolve either, which now I'm like, mm, does he? But still, <laughs> love that book so much. <laughs> but, I mean, okay, so right there, that line. That line goes right to the heart of conservative frustration with liberals, where it seems like liberals want to destroy certain foundations, or let's just use a word from keeping this math analogy going strong. They want to destroy certain axioms that we know are true about God. Oh, the father, mother. And you're like, what? The creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. What? You know, and yet there is a truth about that comment of what you just quoted, right? There is something about God that does not resolve. That's why we talk about negative theology. Right? That's why we talk about uh, the via negativa, right? Like, you can't really say what God is, but you can really say what God isn't. And that's still a path to truth. It just, God is bigger than your truth. So there is this, I, and, and this is, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, we talked about the relationship between, um, that Paul Tillich, a Protestant liberal theologian, talked about, which the relationship between dynamism and formalism, right? Formalism becomes rigidity. And dynamism becomes vagary. And that quote that you just said illustrates how dynamism can become vagary, right? Like God doesn't resolve. What, what does that mean? Does that mean that my concepts are so feeble that they can't understand the divinity? Okay, yes. The infinitude of God will forever be greater than the finitude of man. But are you saying then that I can't know anything about God or that God hasn't revealed himself to us in Christ Jesus and guaranteed his church to give us certain truths well, and, and to guard them called yeah. the deposit of faith? <laughs> is that what you're saying? Is that is what it, you're trying to Is do? it? Am I begging the question? Am I? <laughs> Say it. <laughs> Punch the keys. You're the man now, dog. <laughs> Shoot on. <laughs> uh, let's just keep this going. But you know what I'm saying? Like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, it, you know what's funny is that, okay, so Blue Lake Jazz, that part of the book has to be understood in the context of the book because he's going through both things that he's experiencing as an adult, as he's going through a spiritual awakening. And then also the things that he was going through as, as a kid where he realized I'm not as deep as I really um, think that I am. And yeah. he had to come to this point where he, where he understood that, oh, God is always going to be working in my life. And it just he goes and he goes mm. and he goes and he goes. And it's not this self-contained um, thing right here that I've been taught that it is. God is alive and he's active and he is moving and he is creative and he is expressive and all of those things. You have to and understand he, the rest. And he of the, loves my career as like, a marketer. <laughs> <laughs> you to, I actually, okay, I kind of respect. So this is the author of the book. I respect it now because it is a little douchey because I'm like, what experience do you actually have besides being a New York Times best-selling author, which I understand is his own, um, it's his like only business thing. But I feel like he wrote Blue Like Jazz, so what else can he write? And he, he just kind of stopped. I'm like, I kind of get that. I think that's kind of <laughs> cool. Um I'll change my mind in about an hour. But, um, <laughs> oh, man, by the way, podcasting off sober sucks. Uh, yeah. Yep. The, it really does. I'm like, this is so boring. Why are you people listening? Oh, because the editing is so good. That's why. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and I think one 
problem, I think, with a lot of the quote-unquote liberal church is because they went down this like they all did this because they believed and had an experience of god and god was uh, god was real and active in their lives and i still think he is real and active in their lives but there's this thing where they've divorced it from the life of the church yes and it becomes this uh you know kind of like that whole that quote that if uh, you divorce um if you, if you divorce um mary f- if you divorce her from the church, she becomes a goddess and the church becomes a cult. So it becomes this kind of cult-like thing where it's just, um, it's not really grounded in anything. And it just keeps getting weirder and weirder and, and, you know, (laughs) weirder until it self implodes, which is what we've seen happen over the past, probably 10 to 15 years. Mm. And really what's brought that about for the most part has just been these people have retired Mm. and they're being, and, and there has been some, you know, epics, epic struggles which i've been a kind of a part of one not really came in on the back nine but uh you know it's like people almost my grandfather who i adore and you know i love but he was kind of one of these people by the end of his career that he just retired and kind of stopped you know going to church and that was the end of it and that's the road that a lot i think a lot of these people kind of take sometimes is it just ends up being this thing that they did and they kind of because they divorce themselves from the church they kind of almost like divorce themselves from an incarnate god and god seems to become this idea yeah well i i like the book by cardinal avery dulles called um who doesn't the f- five models of the church it's a book that it's somewhat of an infamous book in that he, when he first wrote it, he was kind of doing the, the edgy leftist theologian, you know, all must be new, all changed, and he's a Dulles, right? So they're like, you know, legend in America, right? So he, he you know, Dulles Airport's yes, named after yeah. his family, right? So it's a very important book, though, because he, he lays out like five models of the church. And one of them is, you know, church's herald, the evangelistic missionary model of the church. Church's sacrament, church's hierarchy, church as um, servant, and church as something else I can't remember. But then he makes this comment at the very end. In the first edition, it's the end. In the second and third edition, he writes this whole other thing and says, I never thought there was a unifying concept. Now I realize there is. It's called the communion of disciples. If you believe the church is a communion of disciples, which I draw from JP2 and JP2's understanding of a communion and Trinity and, you know, all that, he said, then yes, that unifies all five of these models. But in the, in the, at the ending, so that's the ending of the new volume, but the, the previous one ended with the note where he basically said, it's interesting how these models will have natural, seemingly natural enemies and buddies. And the herald model, the evangelistic model, seems to get along really, really well with the church as servant model, right? So going out in the world, doing justice, serving the poor, doing all that stuff. It's very easy for people bound up in mission and evangelization to see that as, yes, this is what God is doing. He's liberating people. And then they end up defining that liberation solely in material terms. And then you have more or less liberation theology. And it was fascinating to hear that because he said, and you can see how a sacramental church would naturally align with a hierarchical church, 
right, model of the church. He's not saying that these are different churches or different ways of being church. He says these are different models or types that people use when they think about this is what the church should be doing. I mean, come on. How often do you meet people that they think the only thing the church should be doing is serving the poor? Or the only thing the church should be doing is administering the sacraments? Or the only thing the church, you know, like all this stuff, right? We don't look to our bishops or priests. We look to the pope or whatever it might be. And he talked about that, and I feel like in a, in a very deep and profound way, those comments about, like, the, the natural alliances and enemies are being played out right now. And I'm someone who has built his entire, quote-unquote, career in the church on evangelization, especially those who are right on the margin of believing, who are right on that edge, and they're like, I don't know. I think God, this whole God stuff sounds irrational. I struggle with the abuse scandal of the church's priests and bishop cover-ups and stuff like that. Right? Those are the people that I tend to be most effective with. I'm not super effective with random guy on street, you know, but the people who come into our church, like, yeah, I'm all about that evangelization, all that stuff. But I cannot think of the church outside of the sacramental life. But there are some who literally would throw that away. Like there, there's a, a very famous cardinal who says, who advocates that we should conceive of the church without the sacraments at the center. Holy crap. Right, right, right. Now, this is a, a cardinal who has gone to war several times in the past with Pope Benedict, um, then Colonel Ratzinger. And to hear a cardinal say that, this is, what, this is why I'm saying all this stuff. How do I fight that? How do I say, without just saying this cardinal is, he like, I think that comment isolated is dead wrong. He might have had some nuance or some clarification or it might have been a butchered comment. You know, like all the stuff that's going wrong with Honestly, here's what I think you do. You, you, I'm not saying that you ignore it, but you have to pray and you have to fast for that man. Because that is some deep, dark crap right, right there. Yeah, and, yeah. But he's, and he's a huge cardinal. Like, he's world famous. I... I don't know how I, I don't know how you um I'm not saying you just ignore it. Right. But at some point in time there are bigger, there are more important things in life than this. Like there are things that are in our lives that are more like that I, I just um like when is enough I don't know, like when like when is enough enough and we just say, Yeah, that guy's nuts. Whatever. <laughs> like, you know, like, just well, like, the question is, when can I rest? Right? When can I rest? Because uh, if I'm fasting for every crazy, kooky bishop, priest, you know, and I'm a, like, this is the thing that drives me insane. I said this to my wife years ago. I said, the thing that pisses me off is priests have job security. I don't as a layperson. If people don't like the fact that I spoke the truth on a confirmation retreat, I'm never going to get hired back to do that confirmation retreat. But there are so often these, and, and in this particular case, uh, a bishop, uh, not of my diocese currently, um, he had made some very obviously incorrect statements just to make his audience happy. And then my wife, before we were married, makes the exact opposite comments. And instead of, you know, it was about, you know, it's about a whole bunch of stuff, but one of the main things was women priests. And the, the response of the principal was, well, we had the bishop here, and he would totally disagree with you. And as our bishop, you're wrong. And, I, and my wife is like, what do I, you know, like, what do, we, what do we do with this? Where it's the bishops that are openly saying, because, and I think he, I literally don't think he believed it. I think he was just saying, like, he was trying to dodge a question. 
But I'm like, why dodge it? You have the fullness of holy orders. You're the only one. Like, why are we lay people having to pick up this stuff? So it's not like we publicly dogged the guy or anything like that. But I mean, I will now. But that this is my problem. I don't know where I don't know how to deal with it in a way that honors the office and honestly calls the man out on the carpet. Because I'm seeing souls getting lost. So here's what I want to do. I want to put this conversation on pause. Okay. And I want to come back to it. With friends? Special friends? Yeah. Yeah. Because I I just think it's because we're getting too much into the weeds of like... Because the same thing applies to the other side as well. Like people on the right. Yeah. The the too far extreme. I want to get into the weeds with them. Right. So so hard Uh, pivot. Okay. This is where we play our ad. (laughs) <laughs> oh man, what a great ad. Betterhelp.com slash foxes. Betterhelp H-E-L-P dot com slash foxes. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. I hate you so much when you build up ads. Why? Because <laughs> they're they're they don't care. They just want their ad read. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's fun. It's fun for you. It's not fun when I edit. <laughs> oh, people, the kids love it. The kids. People on the Patreon kids. want us to post the ads on there so they can hear it, even though they can hear it without the ad. It's true. It's true. Those poor misguided souls. Yeah. <laughs> poor unfortunate souls. Gomer, I got nothing. What do you got? 